Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. It's an important time to address an important subject that has impacted the entire world, particularly the Western world, since the year 1517, and that's the launch of the Protestant Reformation. The year 2022 is the 505th anniversary of the Reformation, and the central dispute which led to such a fracturing of Christians in the world was basically over the doctrine of justification. There were other issues as well, but justification was the central issue. So that's one reason why we're doing this broadcast today, but we're talking about something that many folks may not connect with justification, and that's the doctrine of adoption. Adoption, we're going to see, is the heart of the gospel. It's the very crown of justification. Now, when I say it's a crown of justification, I'm obviously asserting and trying to describe that adoption is a very vital part of justification. If you remember from our last episode, I described that reason for some of the vast differences between Protestants and Catholics regarding justification is its definition. And in Protestant theology, justification is very narrowly defined as kind of that first stage when you exercise faith towards God's promise of salvation, you are justified, that first moment, that first step. They do believe in the doctrine of adoption, but that they think that's something separate from the doctrine of justification. And as a result, the doctrine of adoption in many Protestant circles just kind of gets forgotten, kind of like something in your attic you forgot you even owned, okay? Now, there are some outstanding, particularly evangelicals, that have tried to emphasize, properly emphasize the doctrine of adoption, even though they see it as separate from justification. People like Dr. J.I. Packer. I'm gonna talk about him in just a moment, but I need to mention a second reason why I'm doing this broadcast today and in our previous episode, is that the early church, which was a Catholic church, there was no Protestant churches at that time, the early church managed to survive and thrive in a pagan empire against all odds. And I spoke last time about being contacted by parents who tried their sincerest best to raise kids in the Catholic faith so that they'd be faithful all their lives. And these, these children, as they grew into youth and young adults, abandoned the faith. And they said, what did we miss? What did we miss? And what I'm going to be sharing about today is something that can't be missed if you and your children want to spiritually survive in the 21st century. And what will enable that survival isn't something that you have to buy and all this type of stuff. No, it's a gift of God and it's the same gift that enabled the Catholics in the first century to survive. 
Let me just begin with a uh, turning point in my life, and it began, this turning point, while I was a Protestant pastor. One of my seminary professors was Dr. J.I. Packer, who I mentioned just a moment ago, who so articulately emphasizes the doctrine of adoption. I was reading his book, Knowing God, again, as a Protestant pastor. In fact, I remember, you know, there's certain events in your life you can kind of close your eyes and you can remember the setting. I was in my pastor's study, and I read this. You sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The revelation to the believer that God is his father is, in a sense, the climax of the Bible. Now, I was a fairly young pastor at this time, and to be honest, I thought I knew almost everything. <laughs> that's a very dangerous place to be. The older I get, the less I realize I know. I think that's a step forward. But in any case, reading this by Dr. Packer shocked me. I mean, really shocked me. I could read the New Testament in the original Greek. I could probably translate it, or at least some portions of it, hanging from monkey bars upside down, okay? I thought I had this, and then I realized that th this was nowhere in my mind. I didn't make a big deal about God being my father. I had no idea that this was a central message of the entire Bible, and it's how well I would understand Christianity was related to being a child of God the Father. I, I wouldn't even get a D minus. So I fell on my knees. I remember praying to God to show me this. Now, I'm a very impatient person, as my family will attest. <laughs> It didn't come in a week, didn't come in a year, but it did come in the most unsuspecting ways, and it kind of unfolded. I had no idea that my very practical perception that Catholic families in our day needed an emphasis on Catholic fatherhood, fathers and Catholic families, I didn't realize this was connected to that. And then I decided as a Catholic, I wanted to write a book to evangelicals trying to describe to them that Catholics are truly biblical when it comes to the doctrine of justification. This is the one point that they think we're so far gone that some Protestants don't even regard Catholics as genuine Christians. So in order to write a book on justification, I knew where I had to go. I had to go to the Council of Trent, and session six of the Council of Trent is the most expansive explanation of justification from a Catholic perspective that's ever been done. So I went there, and I don't know if you've gained this from listening to me on the radio, 
But I really appreciate somebody who could boil some complicated subject down to a sentence or two. Uh, I, I just have, to me, that's a stroke of genius. And in the Council of Trent, before it gets into all the elaborate descriptions of what's involved in justification, they have this section entitled, A Brief Description of the Justification of the Sinner. And let me read it to you. The justification of the sinner is a translation from that state in which a man is born a child of the first Adam to the state of grace and of the adoption of the sons of God through the second Adam, Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, I was all gung-ho, ready to get going on this project. And in all honesty, it took me about two years of staring at this very brief paragraph I just read to you. Because as far as I was concerned, I, and I didn't realize that, I was still coming at the doctrine of justification from categories of my Protestant background. I wanted the Catholic Council of Trent to answer my questions from Protestant categories. And in here, it doesn't say anything about the categories because in Protestantism, again, justification is narrowly defined and God is primarily, in Protestant justification, a judge. I'm a sinner. I come into the court, and through justification or the making righteous of the sinner, God pronounces me not guilty, and I leave the guilty courtroom. That's Protestant justification. There isn't a word of that in this concentrated, profound, brief summary of justification. All it talks about is from being a child of the first Adam, in other words, being a part of the human race as we find ourselves in this world apart from God, and then there's a translation to a state of grace and, and justifications by grace, salvations by grace in the Catholic faith, and it's the primary thing in justification is to be adopted as a child of God. I said, what is this? It doesn't make any sense until I started thinking, first of all, what it's describing here is almost word for word. It's a summary of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. First Adam being Adam that we read about in Genesis. The last Adam is Jesus Christ. And here's, here's the point. As a Protestant, I realized that the epistle to Romans, perhaps the most important letter that was ever written in the history of humankind, and too many Catholic youth can't even find it in the Bible, but the most important letter of, of mankind, Protestants will believe that basically St. Paul is talking about justification in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. Okay? Catholics believe that St. Paul is talking about justification in all of the epistle, including chapter 5. In other words, he talks about what the Protestants emphasize, our sinfulness, uh, God's mercy, and yes, there's a judicial aspect and such, but it gets to the pinnacle in chapter 5 where we become a child of God. 
And that's why the differing definitions of justification, I had to get this through my mind. And then I find out that um, a lot of modern Catholics don't know this. And a lot of Protestants just kind of let adoption drop out because the big thing is Romans 1 through 3. And no, Romans 1 through 3 is glorious. But Romans 5 is the pinnacle. It's the crown of justification. Now, I said to you last time, and this is so important, you need to know where to go to find out what Catholics believe about justification today. And I mentioned the Council of Trent, but that's pretty involved, uh, apart from the brief description. But here's another brief description that's worth its weight in gold and diamonds and platinum and silver and every other jewel you can imagine. It's section 1996 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, justification comes from the grace of God. Now, anyone who wants to argue against the Catholic faith, do so. It's it's okay. I Actually, it's better to argue than to just say, oh, they have it wrong and don't try to think, well, there's a lot of Catholics who are very sincere about Jesus. What do they believe about justification? We believe, just like the Catechism says, it comes from the grace of God. And then it goes on to say, grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adopted sons. When I read the Catechism of the Catholic Church on justification, although that prayer I prayed years earlier started to unfold in different ways, this is it. God showed me this. I never, ever, ever, ever expected to get an answer to my sincerely felt prayer prompted by Dr. Packer, an outstanding evangelical theologian, but nonetheless, he wouldn't have said become a Catholic to find this out. I did. Now, I have recorded in a book in in my library called Children of God by an author of named Coutage, and I was out in Long Beach speaking at a conference with uh, Scott and Kimberly Hahn, and Scott, as usual, uh, was out and about the used nearby bookstores looking for good books before the conference started. And he got me a copy of a book he already had two copies of, so he gave me a copy. And inside this book, in case one of my children finds this after I'm long gone, I wrote this. The value of this book is inestimable. All that one needs to know and learn during one's earthly pilgrimage can be found within its pages. The introduction should be read 100 times. And in my book, Grace and Justification, this is an out-of-print book, but my book, Grace and Justification, subtitled An Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs, I reproduced the two of the juiciest pages in this entire book, Children of God. And it goes like this. Our divine adoption is the central concept of Christianity. Have you ever heard that? How many 
homilies, how many broadcasts, how many apologetic shows, how many radio shows and TV shows, Catholic TV shows have you heard that where you learned that our divine adoption is the central concept of Christianity. This is saying Father Coutage is exact same exact same thing that that uh, Dr. Packer was saying. The truth to which all others relate and toward which they all converge, the truth through which they become clear. All other truths flow from it as from their source and radiate from it as from their center and rest upon it as their foundation. In other words, this is a central concept, okay? And so the other truths of the Catholic faith go out of this. And this isn't some sterile theological notion for dusty theological books. This is at the very heart of Christianity. And at the heart of Christianity is God the Father in his merciful love and his heart for us, even though we deserve to be cast away from him forever, makes us his children and loves us as he loves his son, Jesus Christ, which is what I just said is beyond my comprehension, but that's Christianity. And then all truths go out from this and all truths come back to this. Goes on. God loves us as a father. The words pater noster, our father, that Jesus himself placed at the beginning of the prayer he taught us might well be engraved in golden letters over the portals of all our churches to sum up and define what is taught in them and the substance and purpose of their religious ceremonies. God is our father. We are his children. That is the whole of our holy religion. The church is the society of the children of God. It is the great family of the heavenly father. This is Christianity. This is the Catholic faith. We come now to, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm running out of words to try to describe the importance of, again, a couple of sentences I'm going to share with you. But let me just say this. There are 904 pages, at least in my English copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm going to read to you a very short paragraph, just two or three sentences, that's worth more, in a sense, than all the other 903 pages of the Catholic Catechism. Why? What I just read to you is that all those truths in the 904 pages of the Catechism go out from this. And all the truths in the 904 pages of the Catechism come back to this. And you can look at this page and that page and that doctrine in this section, but if you don't have any way to integrate it, to find out where it all comes from, then you'll never quite get it. And you don't have to read 900 pages to get it, because what I'm going to share with you comes from the prologue of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is what, this is the kickoff. And it reads like this. This is Jesus speaking. Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You see, Jesus said, eternal life. Now, everybody says fill in the blank, and there's a lot of things that could fill in the blank, but way down the page, way down the 900 pages, at the top of the page, eternal life centers in knowing God the Father and God as our Father, which is what the doctrine of adoption is all about. Now, now we go to uh, pure gold in one of St. Paul's epistles. Now, what if I asked you, what was St. Augustine's favorite verse in the entire Bible? And I have a pretty high regard for St. Augustine, a really high regard, the Catholic Church does. In fact, uh, Protestants um, have a very high regard for St. Augustine. I just read a, a really hardcore Orthodox writer, and he had a high regard for St. Augustine. Well, this favorite verse of St. Augustine was quoted by him over 200 times, 200 times. Why? He was trying to get it across, because if you don't get this, you could be lost. In the ancient world, living in a pagan empire, despite all the other nice things about the Catholic faith, if you don't get this, you just could drift away. And this is just as essential, because we're back to the first century, living in a pagan empire. And that favorite verse is Romans 5.5. It says, God's love and now in context, because it talks about what Jesus has done and the Holy Spirit coming, it's centering when it says God's love, God the Father's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Okay? Now, this isn't something you tried to convince children in a catechism class or a confirmation class that God loves us. It says God's love has been poured into our hearts. God's generous with his love. This, this is what alerts us to, the, to adoption is the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And I have looked at this passage, Romans 5, 5, and when I found that, and I, I centered on this because I knew adoption was important, and the more I studied it, I saw Romans 5, 5 was important. And then when I saw St. Augustine cited this over 200 times, I almost went ballistic. But here's a point, and I've thought about this. this I didn't come at this hastily without a lot of consideration, but here it is. St. Paul is describing an experiential encounter with the love of the living God. This wasn't notional acceptance of an abstract doctrine, okay? This was a living experience. It's, it's something that the early Roman Catholic Church, this is the Epistle of Romans, experienced, God's love being poured into their hearts. Then St. Paul goes on in chapter 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Romans 8 is also talking about adoption. And he says, you didn't 
receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship or adoption. And then he says, when we cry, Abba, Father, there's explanations in the RSVCE, the Catholic edition RSV, Abba, Father. St. Paul said it's the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. It's not a teacher. It's not a broadcaster. It's the Holy Spirit himself coming into our hearts with rock-solid experience of the love that God the Father has for us. This is what makes Christianity able to survive in any cultural situation. This is how parents and parishes can keep their kids Catholic, not just for a time, but for eternity, because Jesus says, Father, this is eternal life that they might know you. You know God the Father, and this isn't a book exercise. You pray as Jesus instructed us to pray to the Father for the good gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever been to a present-day confirmation or a youth retreat and heard outburst of Abba, Father? Well, this is what we need to be praying for. And I would caution you that some youth leaders think that we just have a lot of uh, a high-pitched emotional hype that will somehow bring about a lasting experience of the Holy Spirit. And that type of hype, trying to hype the Holy Spirit, is a very short-lived experience, and it doesn't change anybody's life. Instead, I would recommend to you a prayer that's prayed in the Catholic Church at the Easter Vigil. And I don't, I'm a private person, believe it or not, and uh, I don't like to share private stuff. And, but this is the private stuff that I'm praying regularly, multiple times when I come to it. It's this prayer, O God, and again, this is directed to God the Father, O God, stir up in your church a spirit of adoption, so that renewed in body and mind, we may render you undivided service. And then I go on, O God, our Father, stir up in my family a spirit of adoption, so that renewed in body and mind, we may render you undivided service. I'm a grandpa. O God, our Father, stir up in your church a spirit of adoption, excuse me, stir up in the hearts of my grandchildren, a spirit of adoption, so that renewed in body and mind, we may render you undivided service. That's the way to survive in today's world and thrive. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 412 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.